Welcome to TTM Cast, your sports collectibles podcast with Jeff Baker and Drew Pelto. Sponsored by Certified Sports Guarantee. Go to csgcards.com for sports card grading for the win. And by sportscollectorsdaily.com. If it happens in the hobby, you'll find it on sportscollectorsdaily.com. And now, here's our host, Jeff Baker. Label. Play ball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TTM Cast Live. This is our first, first ever live show. And I want to thank Last Wolf, hobby legend, who was kind of the, one of the people that really drove this, and, and one of our, our listeners, Dave Snyder, who uh, was, was really uh, into it and said, You guys should be doing this. So I want to thank you guys for. For getting me up and, and running on this thing, Les, of course, has been a collector of autographs and uh, sports collectibles for over 60 years. He has uh, been uh, with the show for, I don't know, maybe six months. Last week, we talked to Les a couple times a, a month, and we got to see Les at the National and, and spent some time with him. And Les has been invaluable in, in uh, adding uh, real content to the show. So we'll have Les's uh, take on a bunch of stuff. We have some questions. People sent some stuff that uh, Les can take a look at to um, give his uh, feelings on. We also have my co-host from Dallas, Texas, Mr. Drew Pelto. Drew has, uh, I've known Drew for four and a half to five years. He's one of my first listeners, actually my first guest on the podcast way back when. And uh, he's been a great addition to the show. And I want to thank Drew. Drew just got back from a huge trip to the national and went to, I don't know, 19 different stadiums or parks and had, had a, a ball touring the country and is a huge autograph collector. Myself, Jeff Baker, I am talking to you from Boston, Massachusetts. I've been collecting cards and autographs since I was a kid as well. Not, I'm not as old as Les, but I, I, I've been around for a little while. Uh, and uh, Thanks, I've been hosting that, this, Jeff, no problem. I've been hosting <laughs> this podcast uh, for four and a half years. And I'd like to uh, introduce my special guest, Rich Miller. Rich is editor and founder of Sports Collectors Daily. He is my good luck charm. Rich was my very first guest on my very first podcast. He was my guest on my 100th episode. He was the guest on my very first radio show. And now he is a guest on my very first um, live show. So thank you, Rich. You are you are my good luck charm for, for, uh, for these shows. And I appreciate you being with us. I know something's big coming up when I get that email from you asking me to come on. He must be at a milestone <laughs> here. So I can't, have, I can't have a milestone without you, Rich. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> Guys, I am fighting COVID. I'm on the tail end of COVID. So if my voice gives out, I apologize. I'm I'm playing hurt. Not as not as hard as Les was a couple of weeks ago, but I am playing a little hurt. So I apologize if my voice uh gives out i think that's about it we're gonna we have a, a few things that we're going to talk about now and that we, we kind of put together an outline for the show and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll i think we'll get right into it so first drew drew and i started doing this last year uh not not one wondering if anyone really cared about it so we've named called this fast forward football and that's exactly what it is we make our p- football picks every sunday of five games we like and uh we, we understand if you don't like our picks, just fast forward through them. But we, we went, we, we got something online this year. We're, we're playing for a book of stamps because we're both TTM guys. And week one, I won the week, Drew. Drew, you yep. only went one and four this week. Not good. Hey, but my faith in my Browns has finally paid off for the first time in my life. So <laughs> I've got that going for me, which is nice. And I told you the Patriots are very, very, very bad. And we'll talk yeah. about that in, in the risers in our next section. But so I went through three and two, three to two to four to one. I am, I'm winning. Uh, and I'm, that's probably the only time in the whole season I'll be winning the, the football picks. But well, that, that, that is it. We just finished uh, week one of our, our football NFL. And uh, we thought, thought we took it. We'll take a look at the players who are kind of risers and fallers and turn falling in terms of how their value has risen as a, a collectible, uh, as a player. So there's three guys that I really thought that um, had a great rise. And Rich, I'm going to ask you about this one. Justin Herbert from the uh, the Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers. 
we just we he just we just had another record of 1.8 million dollars for a one of one card. Did that surprise you? Not really in this market. Um, there there are seemingly there is seemingly no shortage of guys with a lot of money who are willing to take these outrageous gambles on these young players. It, I I can't relate to it, but obviously they're out there. It's been going on for a while now. But uh, yeah, I mean I mean money is being spent on guys who you know, have yet to win a playoff game in some cases. And I, I don't understand it, but I guess, you know, in the long run, if they've got the money to do it and, and it works out for them, it's, it's great because, uh, you know, the market has shown that there's a lot of uh, money to be made in those in, in modern cards that uh, ba- are based on current player performances, but boy, it's a, it's a huge, huge risk. Uh, you know, no matter how you slice it, it's uh, it's, it's a big gamble for, for anybody to, to spend that kind of money, but I guess it's, it's where we're at. Are there, Rich, are there uh, multiple people like this out there that are bidding on these cards or is it really just like one or two guys that are just driving up the prices? Well, it's definitely more than a couple of guys. Um, you know, we've seen a big influx of people, um, you know, getting into this who maybe weren't into it three or four years ago, who just, you know, whatever their profession is, they're making a bunch of money and, and they're willing to, to roll the dice on it. And, um, you know, they relate more to the modern players. They treat it like a stock market rather than, you know, buying a Mickey Mantle card or a Carl Yastrzemski card. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, you know, I, I think it's just an influx of new bidders driving some of these prices up. And, um, you know, there's a lot more tools out there now where we can kind of compare, uh, these one-on-one cards and the, the, the really low pop, uh, you know, other autograph cards and things like that to where, um, you know, we're seeing comparisons from uh, one player to the next, you know, we saw Patrick Mahomes card a couple of years ago, go for huge money. And, and so, uh, you know, people project Justin Herbert and uh, Josh Allen, some of these other guys that, that they're going to be hall of famers. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a, there's clearly now a pretty sizable market out there for, you know, the, the big money cards, no matter what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's here to stay. I think, I, I don't know that, you know, we're going to see a big crash in those markets. I know a lot of guys that have been around the hobby for a long time are thinking, well, you know, it's got to happen at some point, but I, I don't know. I, I think there's, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying there's, there's clearly a lot of new money in and seems to be, you know, it wasn't just a passing thing during COVID. Um, you know, there's, they're sticking around. Well, I see, I mean, you've been around for a while. Do you see that, do you think the card companies know what they're doing in terms of producing these one-of-one autograph cards that, that they're potential million-dollar cards? Or you think that the, the, the market is leaving it, not the card companies? I think it's just crazy that, you know, that these numbers, 1.8 million for Justin Herbert. I mean, what did the Donchick go for? 4.6 million. And those numbers are just crazy numbers. I mean, it only takes... Doncic spraining one ankle or doing having an injury, God forbid, and not playing again, or or Herbert getting knocked out of a game and doesn't play for a few years. So I I personally don't think it's a good investment, but but people people just want to you know want to be able to watch these athletes play and and have their autograph or have something of them, so it makes it more enjoyable to them. Yeah, uh, I mean it's just crazy. Well, the other two guys that I thought are Rose or improve the value of after the first week is obviously Josh Allen from Buffalo Bills. He had a great year last year. He continues uh, in the week one and Devonte Adams for, for on a new team is on the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. And I thought he had a great week and I think he improved his value. And I think, um, I think Drew, do you think, I think his rookie card is still a pretty good buy. Don't you? Absolutely. I mean, for some reason, wide receivers are just criminally undervalued in this hobby, it seems like. I mean, if you look at any of the big-name rookies from every year, obviously the quarterbacks are going to be the big ones there. Running backs are decent, but it seems like wide receivers don't seem to be holding much value at all. So for a guy that's as good as Devontae Adams has been, being able to get his rookie card for under 10 bucks, scoop that up for sure if you like him. I mean, it's fun to be able to collect those guys there. That if you like them, you can find them for cheap. Go for it. What well, about the, the tight ends, Jeff? No, no, no tight ends. <laughs> There's some really good ones out there, and then yeah. much money either. Not, not, not yet. We, we don't worry about those guys. We're going to talk about the followers. And uh, one of our one of our listeners, Bob, hold your cover your ears on this one because we're talking about, of course, the Patriots quarterback Mac Jones, 
who has been overvalued, I think, since the day he, he started playing. And uh, Rich, remember the that one of one that went for, what, $100,000 yeah. and then went for $175,000? Yeah. And how'd you like to be that guy holding that card right now? Yeah, it's fun to be the guy that pulls it out of the pack and is able to turn that into a nice payday. But the second guy that buys it, he's the one that's kind of on the hook. <laughs> yep. So I so, think... Matt, so... I think, <laughs> go ahead, David. No, I just said sell quickly. Right. I think uh, Mac Jones has been a long year for my New England Patriots. So I'm going to start wearing a black armband because I think it's going to be a, I think the season has died already for them. And it's going to be a long year for Mac Jones. If you have any Mac Jones cards, sell them. The other guy is Trey Lance, who got taken in the first round by the San Francisco 49ers. And looks like he doesn't know how to play football. And I think uh, there was a lot of pub and a lot of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, people really interested in Trey Lance. But I don't think he is the guy. And lastly, Dak Prescott, who was horrible last uh, last night against Tampa Bay, or, or two nights ago, Sunday night against Tampa Bay, and uh, they broke his thumb, and he's going to be out for a while. Uh, what's, the, what's the feeling down in Dallas, Drew? Well, I mean, uh, it seems like a lot of uh, people put the, uh, su- the uh, Super Bowl parade hopes. Uh, they've been hitting the brakes on those for sure now. But, I mean, Cooper Rush is the backup there, which I think that's – I mean, that to me is a huge mistake on the Cowboys' part, continuing to go with him because – Unless he really surprises just out of nowhere, I just don't see him as being a uh, suitable substitute in there at all. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, people kind of looking at this and kind of starting to bite their nails quite a bit here in, uh, in round DFW. There's but I just want to mention, uh, while we're at this here for a moment, there's a uh, we got a comment in the question and answer section there from uh, Jeff Owens, considering we were just talking about Trey Lance. He said one of the ones that shocked him was that uh, card of his sold for $132,000 a couple of weeks ago, and now he's you know potentially on the verge of losing his job. Yeah, guys, please continue with your questions and answer, uh, questions. We will definitely answer them as, as we go. Um, this is kind of the first time we've used, used this software, so we're, we're, we're kind of learning on the run, but we're, we will, we're not going to ignore you. Um, <coughs> we're going to go right into uh, baseball. You know, the rookies, uh, we're going to call this contenders or pretenders. And, and Les, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to n- name a guy. And then just less rich and um, drew and then any, any of the guys that are out there, if you want to chime in, please do, um, you know, we're at the end of the season for major league baseball. We got a couple of favorites for rookie of the years. Um, what do you think? What do you guys think of Julio Rodriguez? Is he a contender or a pretender guys? He's a contender. Definitely. I think he's, he's really good. Hopefully he doesn't get hurt. And he, he's the, he's the real deal. I'd have to agree. I mean, definitely contender there. He's a guy that's, uh, I mean, he's been making waves since double A and skipping the chance to be able to get him to hopefully sign for me at a game is one of my biggest regrets right now in all of my baseball graphing. All right. Here's a guy that really drove, drove the hobby at the beginning of the year and kind of, he got hurt and hasn't really done much. What do we think of Wander Franco? Is he a, a contender or a pretender? Or is it just too early? He's still a contender. Franco is still really good. He came back and had a couple of hits off the Yankees after being on the DL for a while. He's the real deal. Still a young guy. Yeah, plenty of time for him. Uh, I think sometimes guys get sidetracked a little bit by these threes and they're, you know, adjusting to the Major League Baseball. But, you know, it, it, they'll, they'll get guy, a guy like Franco will get his on the ground. I think he'll be fine. And a couple other guys. Uh, Adley Rushman, who was a catcher with Baltimore Orioles and looks like the real thing. And Spencer Torkelson, who uh, really stunk the, the bet out at the beginning and went down in the minors and, and has come back. Do either of those guys have a shot to be be a, a, a real guy to invest in? I think uh, Raishman do, definitely does. I don't haven't seen enough of uh, Torkinson. Raishman is starting to really hit, so I think he does. Drew, you I saw Torkinson down in um, in the minors when you're on your trip. Do you, do you think he he's right the ship, so to speak? Um, I think he's still a little ways away still. Yet at this point, I mean. Rutschman has proven himself. Torkelson hasn't. And Torkelson, unfortunately, is stuck on a pretty bad Tigers team and organization there. I mean, Tigers are going to be built around pitching, I think, if they're able to get all those guys going for the next couple of years. Orioles, I mean, but then again, you look at the Orioles. They were absolute garbage here for a couple of years. And now they're actually looking okay. This is like a serviceable team there. And I think Rutschman has a lot to do with that. So in the short run, I think Rutschman's the better one. In the long run, it could potentially go either way. I mean, they're both young guys. they got a lot of time to develop yet. We got um, Jeff Owens says he has a great story on Spencer Strider. He was one of the guys I was going to bring up. Jeff, why don't you uh, hop on and just give us your story on Spencer Strider? All right, we're going to – let me see if we can get 
Jeff Gowen. But then the other guy that I had questions about was um, Bobby Witt Jr. from the Royals. What do you, uh, Rich, what do you think of Bobby Witt Jr.? I haven't seen him a lot, uh, just, uh, but I mean, what, what I have seen and what you hear about the guy is that he's uh, just a, a typical guy that's, that's kind of getting his feet wet, but also, you know, showing signs of being a guy who can be around for 15, you know, 10, 15 years at least. Uh, just just a really steady, strong player. Jeff, I tried. Just unmuted you. I think you can talk now. Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Jeff right. is, is a, Jeff's editor of Sports Collectors <clears throat> Digest. If you don't know, he's been on the show a couple of times. Uh, what's your favorite story with Spencer Strider? Yeah. So as, as some of you guys know, I'm a big Braves fan. And um, so I've been following them all year long. And um, I'm also, I, I live in the Carolinas uh, near Charlotte. And uh, I went to school at the University of South Carolina. So I'm a South Carolina fan and a Braves fan. So I wasn't thrilled this year when they, uh, called up Spencer Strider because he played at our rival Clemson. So I wasn't a real fan of his and, uh, but we've seen what he's done. He's been tremendous, uh, had a phenomenal season and, and you could almost argue that he may be the best pitcher in the national league right now. Um, 16 strikeouts a couple of weeks ago. So I quickly, very, very quickly, despite Spencer Strider's, uh, roots, I, uh, very quickly, uh, became a fan of the guy. So I was at the national and uh, Barry Blair, one of our writers for uh, sports collectors digest walked up to me and said, I got something for you. I'm like, okay. He reaches in his bag and he pulls out a really nice Spencer Strider rookie card. Um, so really happy to, to get that. And uh, of course I'm now a, uh, probably the world's biggest Spencer Strider fan. And you're, and you're defending world champs, so that's not too bad either. <laughs> I'll take that. We're going for two in a row, so we'll I know. See. They look good. Well, that leads right into baseball playoffs, and, and Les and I were talking about this earlier. There's, there's all sorts of um, guys that, that are approaching the playoffs, and I think there's really um, four players that, that have potential, maybe five, to see their cards just go through the roof. And uh, Les and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, and, and Les, it, since time's passed, I'd really like to get your feedback on it. Um, Aaron Judge, and what is he at, 55 home runs or something now? And he's 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 definitely going to break 60. I don't know if he'll get to 70, but um, I think even with a great playoff performance, I think his card's really going to go through the roof, don't you guys? Definitely. And it's interesting, the last few games, he hasn't hit a home run, but he, they still can't get him out. He's getting singles and doubles. So, I mean, I think that that's, even though I'm a big Yankee fan, I think that helps us more with his singles and doubles because we need guys on base. Rich, are you, seeing, are you seeing a lot of interest uh, in Iron Judge from your readers? Or, or, you know, when when you post something about Iron Judge, does it seem to be, does it seem to be more uh, call for Iron Judge now? Um, don't get a lot of reaction to, uh, you know, to, to those types of things, but I think... Uh, you know, here's a guy that kind of was almost forgotten about for a little while, and, and now he's come back. And obviously, the timing is right with his contract situation. Um, I, I don't know that he'll ever be as big of a deal if he goes somewhere else uh, than he is in New York right now with the Yankees. I mean, that's a type of situation. It's a dream situation if you play well in New York, um, especially if you're a power hitter. Um, you know, the, people are going to love this guy for a long time. So I, I'm interested to see kind of what happens down the road. Is he going to stay there forever? Is he going to you know, just uh, wind up going someplace else? Uh, fascinating to watch how that all plays out. Do you think, um, Les, do you think a couple Dodgers uh, values have plateaued in, in Mookie Betts and uh, Kershaw? Have, have there, do you think, do you see their values potentially increasing if they, they go far in the playoffs? Oh, absolutely. And I got an interesting story. <clears throat> As you guys might know, my son works for the Tampa Bay Rays. And we went to a Yankee game and Stu, Stu Sternberg, who owns the Rays, was there. So I got to meet him. And I said to him, I said, hey, Stu, you know, what are you going to offer the uh, judge if you have the opportunity? He said, oh, a quarter of my team. <laughs> so uh, you never And I don't know, know if that's enough. Uh, pro pro the Rays, probably not. But uh I think Kershaw is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think Mookie Betts is pretty close to a first ballot Hall of Famer. And both of them, uh, 
you know, if they go far in the playoffs, it's only going to help them. But to, for Jeff's liking, I really like the Braves. And the Braves got a good young team, good young pitching, good young hitting. I think they are going to be a tough – and, you know, if the Mets get out of the National League, they're going to have a tough time getting through the Braves and or the Dodgers. So that should be interesting. And, uh, Drew, one guy that I really like, and I think you're a big fan of, a former uh, Manchester Fisher cat, is uh, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. I think he's – I think he, he uh, came up with all, a lot of fanfare, quieted down a little, and he's having a great year. And I think if he goes out and has a great playoff, I can see his rookie card just jumping incrementally. Absolutely. I mean, this is a guy who just – I mean, he came in with so much hype just because of his name, who his whole pedigree and everything. And for the most part, he's lived up to it. And, yeah, the sky's the limit on that guy. I mean, if he can have a real nice playoff run here in the next, good next couple of years – yeah, I mean, he's definitely a good one to get in on, and I'm enjoying watching him. I mean, I was uh, somewhat of a fan of his dad, but uh, definitely has a, a little bit of a different approach to the plate there. I mean, Vlad, you couldn't put anything by him. You could give him a pitch, you know, three feet above his head, and he's still probably going to try to poke it out for a double or something. And it seems like Vlad Jr. a little bit more patient there and everything, but a lot of fun to watch, a lot of really good power. Really great to get to see him. One guy that I've been investing in a lot lately is Justin Verlander. I really started before the season started. I thought he was going to have a great year in Houston. Um, Rich, what, you know, did he solidify as he a first ballot hall of famer now, Justin Verlander? Oh, I think so. Yeah, very, very much. So Um, just talk about consistent dominance for a long period of time. I mean, he's, he's the, the perfect guy for that scenario. I mean, he's just uh, been great for, for a very long time. And he'll get the third third side young this year also. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll be it. Is there anyone that I did, that I let off, left off on the baseball end from from the panel that that you think might improve? Uh, you know, with a great playoff. Bichette, Bichette, Bichette. Also, he's yeah. pretty hot right now, also. And if you know, and if, with the Mets, Alonzo, you know, if he starts hitting his homers again, he's definitely going to take off further. No, I know he's one guy. I can't figure out how come he's so undervalued because he's such a fantastic player and he puts up great numbers, but he's very undervalued. Absolutely. Well, that, that wraps up kind of our look, look at baseball and football. Um, this is this one I'm going to I'm going to put out to the, the panel as well. And, and uh, I'm really interested to hear Jeff Owens, if you can, you can chime in on this one as well. Any uh, any of the other guys, uh, you know, Ted Mann or any of the other the, um, the the guys that are that are in in the hobby. Um, I'm really interested in your thoughts and feelings on um, Derek Jeter and this new arena club grading uh, company that, that, that they founded. It's big, uh, just to give you the guys the background, it is a, uh, they had $9 million in funding. They're going to be grading, authenticating and personal, the personal showroom, $25 to grade cards in, in, in their vault and list them for sale in the marketplace or $35 to grade a card and you get it returned to you in 30 days. Um, is there room in the industry in our hobby for another grading company? And is this just another Me Too company, or are they going to come with some different different things? Uh, Rich and Jeff Owen, I'd really like to get your your take on this. Yeah, I, I'm a little skeptical from a grading perspective. I mean, how many do we need? How many grading companies do we need? Um, that's that's the big question. Is there enough? You know, there's obviously a lot of business out there, but is there enough business out there for a, a, another newcomer to come into the the industry? Obviously, having Jeter's name behind it, though, you know, opens some doors. There's money there, and not just from him, but there seems to be a, an investment um, in that. And I, I think the strength of that site might be just the his connection to it and the ability to. Um, do some other things, you know, for people to you know, show off their collections. And, and it, it kind of depends on what they do with the, the property, with the site itself. Um, the grading is obviously part of it, but um, I, I think if you're going to be a success, you have to be a little bit different right now. You have to try something that's nobody else is doing and, and do it well and, and make it interesting for people. So I think it's going to be kind of a wait and see thing in terms of how it all plays out. Um, you know, it's a little unusual to have a big name like that behind a project like this, like behind a grading company. Um, so, you know, that, that'll help from that standpoint, maybe for people who aren't familiar with the hobby that we all know um, and want to get into it and want to do it with a, you know, a guy like Jeter behind it. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough road um, to, to crack that, uh, because of the, the long established players that we've got in the industry and have had now for, 
you know, some as PSA has been around for 30 years. I mean, it's, it's in SGC almost as long and Beckett has been around forever. And then now you got CSG, um, which is a well-established uh, name with uh, as an overall collectible uh, company, the group that, that there is their parent company. So um, interesting to see how, how it all happens uh, to, to play out. Yeah. Owens, don't you think that it's uh, two years too late? Yeah, I, I agree with Rich. I mean, it's it's easy to be skeptical about this because you already have so many grading companies out there. And and the big four right now are all in pretty fierce competition, too. I think we've seen some movement, you know, from uh, SGC and, and, and some of the newcomers. And it's just really competitive right now. And they're all making moves and, and partnering up with different companies uh, to try to forge ahead in that that competition. And I just don't see whether there's, you know, room for another grading company. This is the second new one that's announced they're coming into the hobby in the last two or three weeks. And uh, I just don't uh, understand uh, how there's enough market share for all of those guys. But but the but the Jeter connection does make it very interesting uh, when when you've got a guy like that and they say he's a. Uh, you know, a founding partner. So he's got probably a pretty good stake in the company. And um, I just wonder if, if there might be some other connections in place uh, given Jeter's, um, you know, history and connection with major league baseball and the players association and all that. And I, I just wonder if there might be more to the story and, and maybe there's going to be another piece to the puzzle that sort of boosts those guys up the, the ladder a little bit. I know his partner, uh, I talked to some people in California this week and, and Brian Lee is a guy um, who's, who's mainly the, the main guy behind this you know, he's started two or three companies out there and he seems to be a guy who's really, really good at raising money. Um, so there, there's a lot of money behind it and there's a big name in Derek Jeter. So I would give this company a little bit better chance to make it than some of the other new ones we've seen jump in in the last few years. But uh, I do think it's going to be a tough go for them uh, to compete uh, with the big, um, the big four there, PSA Beckett and uh, CSG and uh, SCG, I, I think that's going to be a really tough challenge for them to jump in and take business away from those guys. Ted Mann, um, Ted Mann is uh, president and co-founder of Collects.app, and they've had a really uh, great, big stronghold in the in the hobby. They've only been around for I don't know two years now. Ted, do you do you do you see they have a, Do you think uh, Jeter and his team will have the challenges to? Uh, succeed or is uh, are they fighting fighting a long road yeah uh, two years definitely not, not maybe like eight months uh so far for us so i don't know I'm, I'm predisposed to uh like all all new technology coming into the space and um i i, I know brian lee um and so you know to me hit him being attached to it is even more um i think interesting than, than jeter just because of his track record right he's the founder of legal zoom he was the ceo of the honest company um, with Jessica Alba, you know, so he's, you know, he's what, what you call in startup world, like a, a unicorn herder. Um, he's, he's had some, you know, ridiculously huge successes and, and yeah, so he has definitely has access to capital. Um, uh, and so these guys raised, uh, I think close to $10 million initially. Um, I know a few of the people involved and I can tell you, they, they know the card world extraordinarily well. Um, and, you know, in, in terms of like the, their their approach to the market, I think, you know, yes, they, their, their slabs basically look like any other slabs and their their grading system. Um, I've taken a, a look at at how they're using, you know, so the AI grading and also the um, human in the loop to sort of uh, to do these grades. But I think it's, you know, they're, they're making a big bet on vaulting um, at the same time and, uh, you know, and giving, you know, giving people who are in their vault uh, a really nice sort of showroom. So in, in many ways, I see it being competitive with with alt and platforms like that. Um, and, you know, you can already if you go on their website, you can you can you can check out, you know, Jeter's showroom. You can check out Pac-Man showroom and and see how they're showcasing those cards. Um, I mean, only only time will tell if there's room for yet another vault and, and yet another another grading company. But these guys are, you know. I think they're more than just another me too. I mean, I know, I think they know how to develop the relationships um, with the consigners, with the, with the dealers and stores um, to be able to get them to, you know, to start sending a lot of volume in, into, into their system. They've already done that from what I understand. Um, so they already are getting a pretty good volume 
of cards graded uh, through their through their platform. Um, so I, uh, you know, it's tough, tough, to, tough to field a, a grading company. Um, I can tell you for sure, Collects will not be going there. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but my hats off to them. I, I think they're, I think they've got a real shot to uh, to become a player. Thank you, guys. Um, if you're just in the room and you want to chime in, please just put it put a question out in the chat room, and then I'll open your mic. Um, I really appreciate everyone's input, and uh, you know that's what we're here to just get everyone's feedback. And you guys have been doing this for a while, so Rich, feel free. There's a comment here that came in the question and answer section here from uh, Chris Belich. Says, uh, I think I read that Jeter's company will use computerized technology to grade cards. Any thoughts on taking away a human element from grading? Yeah, I asked about that when this news came out. Um, and basically, I, I said, are you going to have an actual grading staff that's there? I know you're doing artificial intelligence. I know, you know, that's a big part of it. All the companies are starting to, to meld that in now and make it be a big part of, of how they do things. And that makes sense. Uh, the better AI gets, the better uh, it, it can be for grading. Um, but I think it is important from the standpoint of, you know, AI is not going to catch everything. Um, AI doesn't solve every problem when it comes to grading, I don't, from what I understand. And so, you know, I, what they said was, it wasn't very clear to me that they were going to have an actual grading staff there. They just made a reference to experts and, and things like that, That they're, but they weren't very clear about that. And I think you have to be transparent. You have to be honest. You have to be open about how you're grading cards. Um, there's no shortage of people willing to grade cards um, regardless of who it's with. Um, but And there's no shortage of cards to grade right now. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be judged on how well you do things. I'm not saying they won't do it well. Um, if they have a lot of people who are, you know, have the background in cards um, and, and understand it, that's fine. But I think, you know, you owe it to the people that are out there uh, who you're hoping are going to be your customers by letting them know exactly how you're doing things. Thank you, guys. We have a, uh, we had a question from J.P. Plunkett. JP, J.P. is a Massachusetts kid guy. And he, Rich, I'm going to serve this out to you first. And then, then if some of the other guys that are out there want to uh, respond, I really appreciate it. And he asks, is there room? For a new card manufacturer, now that Fanatic seems to have monopolized the market via the MLB contract and the purchase of Tops and rumored purchase of Panini Donruss. So do you think there's room for a new card manufacturer? And if so, how would they how do you think they would get in get into a market? Yeah, and- I, yeah, I, I don't think there's a way to get in um, that I know of. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe, you know, that may have been the case, you know, a year or two ago, two, three years ago, but now with Fanatics coming in, owning tops on the way to owning the licenses from not only the players, but also the leagues, you know, there's just, there's no way of skirting around it anymore, um, unless you're doing some kind of art card and even then you need player permission, I think a lot of, in a lot of cases to create anything worthwhile. So I I think it's at this point, really, really tough to do it. Um, you know, Leaf has managed to, to carve out a, a pretty decent little slice of the market doing what they do. Um, but in terms of a company coming in, um, I, I think it's, it's kind of folly for them to try and, and do this. Um, you know, it's, it's just uh, Fanatics is, is on the way to scooping everything up and, and that's kind of the way it's going to be. Um, I, I don't know that, um, you know, how long it's going to take for that all to play out, but I think, when this all started last year, when we knew that Fanatics was coming in, I don't think there was much question that, you know, their goal, even though they technically wouldn't be able to take over until 25, 26, um, was to get in earlier than that and start making cards. I mean, that's a long time to wait. And you, so you knew that they knew that there was a way to start uh, snapping up some of these licensing uh, deals and, and taking over companies and, and doing things. And they're going about it very methodically, um, but very quickly. And, and so I, I would suspect that you know, at least, uh, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll all shake out long before those licensors were originally scheduled to expire with, with uh, Panini. Rich, also, also, excuse me. Also, Fanatics kind of forced their way in. You know, basically the old adage of money talks. So they, they're going to they're gonna have to do something really different. Besides buying tops, you know, they're going to have to do something to really establish the market. And I think one of the biggest things that all the card companies, and Rich, you can agree or disagree, is that they're not targeting the kids. You know, the kids like, you know, to be able to afford $10, $20 packs instead of these 300 500 
$1,000 packs, I think you need to hit that because those are the core of the collectors. Again, it's, they're going to bring the, bring the, bring it up forward. Yeah. Well, we, we used to do stories about what the biggest selling items were uh, card related items were through fanatics. Um, I had a contact there that was kind of able to give me that information and then he left. So I wasn't able to get it anymore, but we did that for a while. And, unquestionably their top sellers were always things that you and I would probably never put in the top list. And that is the factory sets, top series one baseball, all the stuff that is mass produced is the, are the biggest sellers for the company. So I think they know that they can sell those types of products and I think they'll keep making them. Um, I think the distribution may change a little bit. We may see, you know, we like to call it overproduction, but they're just going to try and meet the demand. So I, I wouldn't expect that, you know, some of those lower cost lines are ever going to be worth a lot of money unless they do something, you know, a little different with, with some of the inserts and such. But um, I, I think that, you know, they're going to uh, try and, and meet collectors at every level. I think they're going to try and satisfy those people, the moms and dads and the grandmas and grandpas that are buying these factory sets because they see it, it's there, it's right in front of them. If it's easy, they remember buying those sets when they were younger um, and they buy them as gifts or whatever, or, or just there's, there's tons and tons of casual collectors out there too that, that don't participate in podcasts. They don't read forums. They don't read our site or SCD or anything else. They just, you know, they'll buy cards here and there. Um, just for fun. And, and there's tons and tons of those people out there. Fanatics is perfect, perfectly lined up to be able to meet those people's needs because they are everywhere. And their site uh, in terms of search engine ranking is huge. They have multiple properties, sportsmemorabilia.com, Steiner Sports, they own all those now. So they're everywhere. But yet I think they understand also that the central part of the hobby, as we all know it, um, is, is also a very large market and very much open to more expensive products and they'll service those as well. And the fact that the players associations have a stake in this now and the leagues have a stake in this now, I think is going to be very, very important from the standpoint of uh, securing autographs and doing some different things that we haven't seen before. So I think it's, it's going to be a, a little bit of a different world, but I think they understand the various parts of it and, I don't think they'll leave any stone unturned when it comes to trying to find revenue because they have to um, from all these different segments. And uh, Richard, Richard mentioned um, the size of the market. And I know you guys did a uh, study on the size, the potential size of the market. And can you just talk a little briefly about um, the results of your study and uh, where, where you see growth from uh, a collecting standpoint and uh, you know, for, from, uh, tapping an untapped market. Are you talking to me? Ted Mann, he did. They, oh, okay, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I thought maybe that was for me too. Um, so yeah, we, we uh, uh, thanks chef. We, we, yeah, we did a study. Um, this was, this was actually last year. Um, and we were trying to understand not just how many cards are sold on the secondary market on, on eBay and other, um, sites, but also how many collectors are, are out there and how many, um, you know, how, you know how big is is the potential size of the secondary market, and uh, the the big insight we found there is that um, about thirty three percent of all American adults own trading cards. Um, so that includes uh, trading card games, but also sports cards. Sports cards are the biggest chunk of that by by a good margin, and um, and the really fascinating thing is that 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 pool of collectors is, uh, you know, the, the overwhelming majority, about 80% of them have never bought or sold a card on eBay or any other secondary market. Um, so the, you know, a, a lot of the, the, the card market is kind of like at its peak right now. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that there's a, there's a good potential to appeal to that broad swath of Americans who, who have cards, who collect cards, um, but maybe have never, you know, have, have not yet ever graded a card or have not yet ever bought or sold a card on an eBay or, or any other marketplace. Um, and so that's, uh, that's where I think the biggest growth opportunity is in the, uh, in the space. And I think Fanatics is doing a really good job of, of actually um, appealing to, you know, to, to, to a broad swath of collectors and, and, you know, expanding their product line or at least, you know, 
creating more cards to uh to appeal to not just the the high end of the hobby but also kids and and a lower end product as well mark hoyle this question to you mark is a, a collector vintage collector and I just wondered, Mark, are you do you buy any of the new stuff or do you just strictly vintage? I know as a you know, you're kind of in the same age group as I. Um, do you buy any of the new stuff? Did I lose him? It uh, looks like he's muted. I know I tried to unmute him. Yeah. All right, we'll have to come back back to Mark. Um, Jeff, Jeff Owens, Ian um, to Rich. Did, have you seen the demographics of your um, visitors change in the last year or two since since we've uh, we've got out of COVID? Do you see um, the whole uh, demographics of the hobby changing? I mean, it seems just just uh, anecdotally when we went to the national, it seemed to be a lot more women and a lot more uh, younger kids. But are you seeing that in your demographics? Yeah, we are a little bit, uh, particularly women. Uh, we're, we're seeing a, a good bit more engagement from women, particularly online. I get a lot of emails from, um, you know, female uh, dealers and, and collectors, questions, you know, where can I find this? Where can I uh, get that? That sort of thing. Uh, and you're right. There, there were, you could really tell that at the national, there were a lot of kids a lot of women there. And, um, you know, we were talking about fanatics and, and we spent a little bit of time with them with, with Josh Luber and some of the other folks from fanatics when we were out there and, uh, they talked about kids a lot. Uh, it, it came up in almost every question, you know, so they, they've definitely got their eye on that and the demographics they're doing a lot of research, um, and really being methodical about how they're entering this thing. And, and uh, I do think there's going to be a big emphasis from them on kids. Um, and, and you hear that from Major League Baseball all the time, too. That, that is definitely a, a serious issue that they need to address, uh, attracting the game to more kids. And I think their interest in uh, fanatics and these in the licensings with sports cards is a big part of that. I think uh, I think you're going to see a big push from Major League Baseball uh, for, you know, fanatics to to help out kids and, and market the cards a little bit more to them. How they do that, I'm not sure. You know, it's it's hard to imagine them lowering the prices a lot if that's what the market bears. Um, but they they could. I, I think they will work with maybe the hobby shops and some of the retail stores to, to put some product out there. But I know that uh, I, I do think the democratic uh, demographics of the hobby is changing a little bit as it grows. And uh, so I do think you have to pay attention to that. Thanks guys. I know we got a couple heavy topics there and I apologize. It's stuff we're really interested in. It's important to the hobby. Uh, I just want to go to Les. Les, we got a couple of um, emails the last couple of days about pe people that got um, had items that they wanted you to take a look at. And one of them was from uh, Brian Delgado. Uh, Delgado. He, had, he got a 19, bought a 1944 Chicago Cubs ball at a yard sale for like $5. And I get, I get, it got me to thinking, what, what uh, do you think people should consider before pulling the trigger on something? And, and you know, if you saw this at, at a, a flea market or yard sale for $5, it's something you'd pick up. Oh, absolutely. The autographs are definitely authentic. The only problem with the ball is that it's very light. So the first thing that uh, you have to do, Brian, is you have to get JSA to get it certified. Uh, but it's easily 500 to 1,000. Um, just got to make sure you, you keep it properly protected and preserved. And for all of our listeners, I have some updated news. Aaron Judge just hit his 56th home run. <laughs> See, wow. we are live, guys. That proves... You know what I was, I was, what are we going to do? Like, you know, we on those old kidnap movies where the guy holds up the newspaper. <laughs> we got Les to play, play by play of the Yankee game. Hey, I got a question for Les um, real quick. Uh, sure. Go ahead, Rich. That's a wartime era baseball in your years in the hobby. Are wartime era signed balls more difficult to find than other baseballs for any particular reason or not? Absolutely. Because during the war, I mean, we had a lot of the major stars like Ted Williams and Hank Greenberg during that time period. They did not play. They were they served the armed forces and getting these baseballs was not easy back then. Yeah. So it, it is uh, more, you know, harder to get and more desirable. 
Like Even though there may not always be big names on there, I guess. Uh, right, but this one, unfortunately. rosters with a lot of guys that wouldn't normally be playing. Right, and th- this one formerly has a big name with Jimmy Vox. Now, Les, what would you have done if you were the original owner of this this ball back in the 40s or 50s, or even today now, how would you have protected the ball so that the, the um, signatures didn't fade? Oh, I would keep it out of the sunlight, and I'd only handle – I'd have glove on and only handle the red seams. As you can see in the photo, Brian is handling it with his fingers, so the oil on the fingers is not helping the other signatures on it. And I, I would make sure I'd, I'd probably put it in a holder and, and put it in a, in a drawer or in a closet. So this way it's not exposed by light and make sure it has proper temperature in there, 68 to 70 degrees. Well, the other, the other um, photos that we got was from uh, listener Stephen Katsoulis. Stephen uh, sent, let's see, get, let's get to this, this one. He sent three pictures he got from his dad. Stephen, I tried to unmute you, and if you can unmute yourself, we can get a little feedback. I think he got these from his dad. He's got uh, uh, three pictures. What, Les, what are your thoughts on the pictures, and um, do they look authentic to you? They definitely look authentic. Unfortunately, his flash on the Aaron makes it hard to see the Aaron part, but the Hank, the Hank looks fine. The maze has got looks like it's a little little longer letters but i'm sure that all three of them are authentic and then they're nice nice vintage photos of all three of them so that those that's a nice pickup good way to start your 500 home run hitters club with three of the all-time greats yeah they're really nice and willie mays has um historically been a tough one because there's, there's a lot of forgeries out there on mays right well yeah, sister I, didn't his yeah. sister sign for him or uh actually that was dimaggio's sister okay. that signed for him uh Mays uh, hasn't signed in a while. Unfortunately, I understand he's got glaucoma and he's not doing too well, but he's still on it, still playing on this side of the grass. So no, I know. Let him live and be well. But yeah, he's that's that's a tough autograph, and unfortunately, we lost Ernie and we lost Hank. So those are good ones. Well, thanks, Les. Let, if you guys have any questions for Les, um, you can ask now, or we can see, send us an email. Drew, what's the email address? That would be TTMcast at yahoo.com. <laughs> that's in his contract, guys. I can't give out the TT. I can't get that's his like God, job, job security. I can't give out the email address. And Jeff, we have a question from Mark. Besides Teddy, Yaz, and Babe, who's the most desirable vintage uh, Red Sox autograph? And the answer is Jimmy Fox by far. Is that because it, he um, didn't sign so many or? He's a 500 home run hitter, and he's he's one of the all time greats. How about is how about Yastrzemski? Yastrzemski's not considered. A, he already mentioned. He said he mentioned, mentioned Teddy Yaz and Babe. Okay. I got a question for Les. If you have have a moment, sure, Dave. All right. So uh, you mentioned DiMaggio, so I'm just going to kind of throw this out there. The stuff that he did back in the day on on Home Shopping Network. Did he sign that stuff or was that stuff? Uh, I believe it was through uh, probably a scoreboard company or something. Yeah. Kenny, Ken Golden's dad, Paul Golden. Yes. All those were authentic. Okay. I just figured I'd throw that out there. Okay. So if you have any question, questions for Les, you can email at him at ttmcast at yahoo.com. Thank you. That wraps up. <laughs> <laughs> That wraps up Les's segment. Rich, this one's for you, okay? Because I know I, I saw this on, on your site, and then I actually saw a, a tic-tac on it, and it was really interesting. Um, they opened a time capsule, and it was a building in Chicago that they found a World Series baseball from 1919 um, that was, I think, from Game 5. Can you elaborate, a little elaborate on that, the story, Rich? Yeah, the Chicago Tribune building, um was being turned into condominiums the, uh, and this was I, I guess about three years ago four years ago um, and it obviously took a while but they pulled out three time capsules from different parts of this building and there were over a hundred items in there and one of them had a baseball in it and it was completely beat up if you go to our website uh, you can see what it looks like uh, there's a story up on it but it's it's they were wondering where this ball came from and what was was the significance in this uh, that it was put in this time capsule from 1920 it turned out um and 
they later Grant Deporter, who's the, right. the, behind the museum, found a a letter in there uh, that was written by the <laughs> Chicago Tribune sports editor, and it indicated that the ball it basically was kind of a testimonial a coa i guess it served as <laughs> for where the ball was from and it was a uh, hot eller had struck out uh five some six guys in a row in the world series in, of 1919 uh two and three in one inning and three in the next and that's a record that still stands but by the way but um the letter kind of you know told the story of what the ball was was about and so um that was you know uh, just a phenomenal find. I mean, it's worth a ton of money and uh, it, I don't know that it'll ever be sold, but it's going to go on display up there for a little while in Chicago, but just a cool story. This thing was sitting in this time capsule inside this building from one of the most notorious world series of all time. Yeah. And it got really destroyed, which I was surprised. Yeah. At. yeah I don't know what that time capsules don't always hold up very well, um, but there were some things in there that uh, I guess survived. Okay. Including the letter, which had a little bit of staining on it, but it was otherwise uh, pretty pretty decent uh, typewritten letter from the Chicago Tribune sports editor uh, back in 1920. So that uh, I, I think the ball is probably beyond uh, uh, the ability to have it, uh, you know, repaired or uh, uh, put into something where you can actually, uh, where it's not going to completely fall apart, but I guess for now, at least it's, uh, it's, it's okay, but uh, that's about it. Yeah. It's almost like, remember that ball that they blew up? I remember. I yeah, the Bartman Jack. ball. Yeah, that was that yes. was Deporter. Yeah, that was Grant Deporter who uh, blew that ball up the Steve Bartman ball. That's what that's what it looked like to me. And I got I got a question for you for you guys. This is for the panel guys and anyone that that's in the room. Please add into it. Uh, if you were we, we put together a time capsule today for 2022 for a hobby related time capsule, you guys could only put one item in. What would you put in, Rich? What would you put in? Oh boy. Um, Maybe a blaster box to symbolize the uh, <laughs> mad rush of cards that uh, took place, uh, or not so much anymore, but uh, during COVID and, and shortly around the time that the hobby took off. Drew, what would you put in? Probably a Shohei Otani signed ball, just because, I mean, what he's done the last couple of years is Joe, both a pitcher and a hitter. It's something we haven't seen in a long time. In this era of specialization sports, it's something we may never see again, so... That to me just, I mean, represents just one of the coolest things you're seeing in the game right now. And so just piece of the hobby there with a signed ball. And uh, Mr. Wolf, what would you put in? I'd put in an Aaron Judge signed baseball. How about guys in the, in the, uh, in the room? Ted Mann, Mark Hoyle, some of these guys, some of my guys, what would you put in it if you could put in some one thing from a collection in the collectibles in the time capsule? Mike Trout piece. Mike Trout, something with Trout on it. Mike Trout. I would put in. I would put in something about uh, maybe the the national program. You know, with with the Mickey Mantle, something about the Mickey Mantle card. I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna have a lot of legs. I think I'd put my Tim Hortons autograph in there. Ted, <laughs> <laughs> how about you? Anything? With a donut with the Tim Horton? I was going to say, you got to have a box of Tim bits with it, too. Yep. <laughs> got a Bob Holdberg base? said that he would put in a, a Raphael Devers signed ball. <laughs> of course. He, Devers? All of that. X Red Sox, right, Mark Hoyle? Yeah. <laughs> I hope Maybe not. anything with a legible signature on it, because the way we're going, I don't think we're going to have any legible signatures left in about a year or two. Yeah, guys, I want I want to thank everyone. We're 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 just about a little more than over an hour. I'm gonna I'm gonna have one more question and then I'll open it up to listeners and, and then I'll let everyone go for the night. I really appreciate your time. Um, my my question to this and Rich, I, I'm gonna put it to you first. And, and and Jeff Owens, if you're still in the room, if you could uh, chime in, I'd like that. Um, the thing our hobby needs most is. How would you finish that sentence? You know, I think maybe education. Uh, there's so many new people coming in and, and that have come in here in the last year, year and a half, two years. But I see a lot of people who still don't quite understand. And, and it is admittedly really sometimes a difficult thing to understand, especially when you're talking about modern cards. It's changed so much since some of the kids that grew up in the 80s and 90s that are now adults. Um, and, and beyond that, just, uh, you know, with autographs and 
game-worn memorabilia and why it's important to have photo matches that are of good quality and, and that sort of thing. So I think, you know, I'd love to see somebody come up with a series of uh, uh, night classes or something where people could go and, and really understand, uh, really get, get a better understanding, a deeper understanding of all the different uh, things that uh, that a lot of us have been around for a while know, and we're still learning. So I think that's the big thing is education. Last I had your name written all over it, my friend. <laughs> uh, Rich, I'm right right behind you. I mean, I, I developed because of Hurricane Sandy to collect, invest, but most important, how to protect and preserve memorabilia. And the more and more I look at collections and I buy collections or I appraise collections, the biggest problem is people how to properly protect and preserve their memorabilia. Like you have cards on the wall there, right? Behind you, Rich, do you have the right lighting in there? Do you have the right temperature in there? Chances are you don't. Do you have, the, do you have something to protect your windows? That could, you know, to make sure those cards don't fade. Stuff like that, I think, is more along the education part that no one's really working on that needs to be elaborated further in order to keep the, the memorabilia in good condition. Because people, you know, the collection, as more as this stuff keeps on appreciating more and more, we need to protect and preserve it more and more. UV glass and pulled shades. Okay. What kind of lighting? Uh, not much. A light over my desk and a little light overhead here. Okay, yeah, make sure it's LED lighting. Make sure the temperature is 68 to 70 degrees. Always, yeah. <laughs> Rich is I take, I take the temperature of my uncut sheet daily. And also, you got, believe it or not, one of the small, one of the, the biggest things that I, that I I had to find out the hard way, and so did Gene Michael, the ex-Yankee, is you got to make sure there's no piping above head that or on the ground that could cause flooding or water to drip down on that wall there. Drew, I'll let you have last word. What's the this is what thing that our hobby needs the most is self-control. When I see this in like the TTM and in-person autograph hobbies, just I mean the number of people that have at times you know gone out there and you know they'll mail eight cards off to a player. It's like you gotta think that I mean anything you do is going to have an effect on other people in the hobby as well. I mean you keep on sending eight cards to a guy for example over and over again. Eventually, that dude's just going to get tired of it and stop. I mean, it might be great for your collection, but you're really screwing over a lot of other people in the process. So just thank you. Being able to keep, <laughs> a, being able to control yourself in this, limit yourself, and just don't get in over your head. And that goes into a lot of different areas. I mean, you know, don't go throwing in money at the hobby that you don't have and everything. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been on Facebook groups where somebody right before Christmas is going, oh, hey, I got to sell off all the stuff. I got to sell off all the stuff. And it's like, yeah, dude, why? You know, I mean, you should have other priorities first. I mean, yeah, the hobby is going to be fun. It has its potential to make you, make you some money and everything. But yeah, just, I mean, control yourself, have things, keep things in perspective, and just remember that anything you do is going to have an effect on others in the hobby as well. Very good. Thank you, guys. Since this is a, we are a TTM cash show, I figured I'd show some of my uh, returns that, that I've gotten the last uh, four or five days. I've been sick, so I haven't been posting Rich, I apologize in advance for letting this let the cat out of the bag, but it will be a next. It will be a next week's article. It's it's a good plug for TTM this. So if you can see that my screen, there's a bunch of 1986 uh, football cards I've got. I got Hall, Hall of Fame James Lofton. I got Gary Anderson, which I think that's his rookie card, isn't it, Drew? Um, that I'm not sure about. I think it might be. I got Dan Fouts, and then I also got some other football ones. I've been really going crazy on football. Um, I have, I'm going to be giving away a uh, 1987 Darren Nelson card. I had Darren on the show this week. He signed another card for me. So I will be giving that away on the show uh, this coming week, but I did get his uh, 85 card and I got, I got a bunch of other ones signed. Um, I'm just trying to quickly run through that. Uh, I just want to, again, thank everyone for joining us today. I really, really, really thank Rich Miller, Rich, you are my good luck charm. Thank you for all your support. I really appreciate it. Glad to do it. Uh, um, I less you, you, you know, I love you. Thank you very much for all your uh, my support. pleasure. We love having you on, and it was uh, thanks for for driving me to get this done. Drew, you've been a great addition to the show. I want to thank you as well, guys. All all the listeners that came in, the the guy Mark Hoyle. Uh, I love talking Red Sox with you, Steve Katsoulis, great listener. David Snyder, who's been uh, been egging me on. My buddy Bob, who uh, lives and dies with the Patriots. Uh, please, uh, if you want to get, if you're in the room and you want to get an autograph card, 
by Drew Less and myself. Just send me your uh, me, email me your mailing address. Drew, what's the email address? That would be ttmcast at yahoo.com. <laughs> like a pro. He's a pro. <laughs> just send me your mailing address and I'll drop one in the mail for you. Uh, Rich, if you want one, just let me know. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. I apologize for, for fighting through this, this horrible cold, but I'm starting to feel better. Um, and I want to thank everyone for the time. We went a little long, but there's so much stuff to talk about. Um, anyone, any last questions for our panel, please send them out right now because we are, we are going to close out the show. Thank you guys. What a great way to go, man. Thank you, thank Baker. You, Jeff. Thank you, everybody. And most of all, thank you to our listeners and everybody wrote in. It was a lot of fun. <laughs>